Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. And Julie, it is Monday, February 8th, and we have a really great show for these guys today. And actually, for the next few days, we are talking about the ever importance of systematizing your business. Actually, making your business into a system is the thing that you should be focusing on along the way while you're learning sales skills. By the way, learning sales skills and learning how to be a proactive lead generator in itself is the most important system that you'll ever really have to master in real estate. And we've said this before, and sometimes we say this is a joke but it's really not a joke. If there's ever only one thing you get good at in real estate, it's basically mastering the system of being a proactive lead generator. You can be terrible at literally everything else, but if you can be a proactive lead generator, specifically um, going after listings, then you will not have any worries that you cannot make go away with more, guess what, proactive lead generation. This is very true. You know, Our old broker used to have a saying, doesn't matter what's wrong with you today, getting a new listing will fix it. Yep. So, and that's really true. I mean, put yourself in that mindset, right? So, you know, even if you have a bunch of pendings, how great do you feel when you take that next new listing and, you know, add to that lather, rinse, repeat? So today we're talking about an, uh, the systematization specifically of a spoke that every single listener should be working their entire career, and that's their past clients and centers of influence. You remember when we had our event about, what was it called, the top 100 agents in real estate, and we were interviewing, you were interviewing some of these very, very experienced agents that had literally thousands of past clients. And you, I'll never forget this. You asked if you could change one thing looking back, what well, would it be? Let's describe the event just like, so, sure. so we were in, um, I think that was Montage, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Montage, Laguna Beach, uh, circa probably about 10 years ago. And it was in order to be in the room, you had to pay $5,000. And I don't think it was 100 people, Julie. I think it was like 50 people that were in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially, you also had to have a a certain level of production criteria. People flew in from all over the country to go to this thing. And everyone was given the the room, the chairs were set up like a horseshoe, basically, or like a U, you know. And essentially, each person in the room, they didn't have to, but each person in the room would then be given the opportunity to present something that they were. Um, you know, obviously an expert at. And remember, these are not just casual top producers. These were the absolute cream of the crop. And what Julie's describing is, I mean, it wasn't a surprise to us, but it was a surprise to everyone in the room. Because someone would come in and, you know, they'd be selling 500, 600,000 houses a year or whatever, and everyone had heard of them. And maybe they're on New York Times, you know, top agent lists and Wall Street Journal Big list guns. and all. Yeah. I mean, really, and the thing that all of them said wasn't that they wish they would have spent more time on, you know, essentially buying business or branding or marketing. All of them said the same thing, that they wish they would have spent more time on their centers of influence and past clients because they've realized over the years. And I remember when you and I had this epiphany in our real estate business mm-hmm. too. Sure. When we got in the business, we had no centers of influence and past clients. None. In our first year in the business, we sold over 100 houses. You know, uh, this is back when we were in our early 20s, basically right out of college. Mm-hmm. And that experience basically for the first, you know, two, three years was basically just going after new business. But I remember on the fourth year, you and I would, we were always very good at tracking, dry erase boards, the whole thing. Everything is part of the real estate treasure map. Julie and I uh, essentially created and honed while we were selling real estate ourselves. So 
I remember it was like it may be the third or the fourth year. We were again we had this big huge dry erase board and we track where every uh, you know every single closing. Our goal was always to sell you know between 100 and 200 houses a year. We didn't basically just sell houses just for the sake of you know hitting a higher sales number. We always based our sales goals on what our specific guess what savings and investment goals were. So if we wanted to buy five new rental properties that particular year and it was going to take this amount of money and then we knew our business and personal overhead was this amount of money and whatever whatever we add all those things up divided by our average sales transaction that would be how many houses we'd had to sell that year yeah, it sounds like a familiar podcast <laughs> yes it does well that's how we formed our yeah. business and that's how we st- formed our coaching business and that's how we formed every business because we want to basically make it so that we're never losing fact that the purpose of the business ultimately is to produce profit because without profit you don't have a business you don't it's just essentially uh it's a non-profit business in the in its very sense but i remember this dry erase board marking down all these listings was about halfway through the year and we obviously had a lot of buyer sides too and this is when we did have buyer agent transact or buyer agents too we had seven buyer agents that we we did have a team so when we talk about the fallacies of the team model uh, Julie and I were in real estate when you could still make uh, good margins off your team members because there weren't as many ways to generate leads and so are in paid ways and so the agents would that would come work for you would be expecting to do their own proactive lead generation and so you actually had good margins on your buyer side uh, of your buyer agents whereas nowadays every time I've done a spreadsheet for someone in the last well, probably five years in most cases the buyers uh, the buyer agents and their teams are actually uh, operating at a loss and the person running the business is subsidizing it through their own cash flow that would normally go to their profit from the listing side of the business. Anyway, I don't want to drive down on that too much. But what we discovered by looking at all these closings were that by the time we were in the business for three or four years, right in there, the business was almost all, well, 50% of it, 60% of it was coming from centers of influence and past clients. And I remember what we'd, we'd again, we were very good at tracking. And so we actually were able to look at sort of the genealogy on some of these referrals. And what we discovered was, like you'd say, you know, Julie would say, for example, maybe she got a listing lead from somebody in her orchestra, right? Julie was a professional musician. So someone in her orchestra would send her a listing lead. Well, that listing lead, if we just put up their referral from Betty and, you know, the flute section, that would have been, um, you know, as far as most agents go. But it turns out Betty would have been a referral from somebody who was a referral from somebody. And so when we started tracing the gene- genealogy of these is what we saw was there was an ex, uh, an, uh, ex uh, what would the word Exponential. be? Yes, effect on some of these uh, centers of influence of past client uh, bloodlines, basically. So when you looked at the genealogy of the business, it wasn't just a referral, uh, you know, essentially using- It wasn't a mo- one-off. It wasn't a one-degree referral. Yeah. Sometimes it was a five and six-degree referral. And that's only that's after we've been in the business for only three and a half years. And so we obviously had the uh, epiphany that we needed to then do a better job with our centers of influence of past clients. And that's when Julie and I realized that just mailing them a newsletter and emailing them and all that wasn't sufficient. So we started actually calling them. And then our business really took off. And the experiences we had calling him, and Julie was really good at it. She's actually better at it than me. I don't think anyone's going to be particularly surprised about that. And she started calling the Centers of Influence and Past Clients. And, you know, we'd start getting more and more referrals. And the, the experience, I remember when you and I really started doing that in a disciplined fashion, like a certain number every mm-hmm. single day. I remember the experiences we had. Because I would listen, you and I shared this big office above our garage. And I remember you and I would uh, do it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I would hear you having these conversations. And the people were always like... Um, you know, I had these experiences too, but I just remember specifically with the referrals that came from your personal center mm-hmm. of influence. Mm-hmm. They're always like so glad to hear from you. And then they're always like, they almost uh, rack their brains trying to think of a referral for you. Yeah. And, and that gets easier the more you do it, <laughs> yeah. of course. 
So, yeah, I, I mean, I think most people would be surprised that, that experienced agents say, you know what, I, sh- I absolutely need to do a better job of that. And as coaches, I think we, we can absolutely corroborate that. It's one of the things that we're always uh, making sure that they're doing. But don't just take it from us. Listen to this NAR statistic, okay? So here's the facts. According to NAR, 77% of sellers interview one agent before they list their property. So here's the question. Is it going to be you? If I called your database right now, would they name you? Because 89% say they would hire their previous agent, but only 26% actually do. I think that that statistic right there shows you that everyone needs to do a better job of this. Why? Because they never hear from their agent once they're closed. Okay. So some people say that that is, uh, is a term uh, loyalty deficit or something like that, where they just, and we would go on listing appointments. You got to realize if you're the, the one agent they're going to talk to, or even if you're competing, you're in front of them because their previous agent is not. Right. And now, you know, and, and the previous agent's, dare I say defense, they yes. might actually not be in the business anymore. I had that thought when I read that stat And, and that's well. probably the real reason. Because if you think that most agents, uh, I don't know how the stat is. I bet you the stat's five years old, but still relevant. Is it new? Mm-hmm. It, it is five? It is okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're looking at a stat that's basically also not taking, I mean, most people don't buy and sell, but every seven or eight yeah, years. Yeah. I mean, it, the, I'm sure that the attrition of agents is baked into that statistic, yep. but not that doesn't account for all of it, right? No. Because I, you and I remember going on appointments where they would say, you know what, my previous agent didn't even send me a Christmas card. Yeah, I know. So if they didn't send you a Christmas card, probably they also haven't called you since they closed. And they would, they some of them were a little bit pissed about it. You know, they they'd be Not, like, I never really even heard from them after we closed. I wouldn't say the word was pissed. Pissed was disappointed. In, in, they were disappointed. Yeah. yeah, they were probably if, if dare we say even hurt from it. I think you're right about that. Yeah. So that's a thing you got got to keep in mind, Julie. We should probably just go down that trail, the path, real quick, in sure. case we have any first time listeners. Yeah. Essentially what actually goes on the minds of their centers of influence and their past clients when they don't hear from them. Yeah. This is a good, so you guys are the psychology that's rooted around contacting your centers of influence and past clients. When you talk to even experienced agents, tr- guys, trust me, this feeling of, uh, you know, not wanting to be perceived as a, you know, desperate, pushy car salesman type, mm-hmm. that is an emotion that will never go away no matter how many houses you sell and how successful you become. People will always have a natural, uh, you know, y- you get more efficient at it. You basically begin, become a little more calcified to it, but you're always going to feel a little nervous before you do any kind of prospecting. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it goes. And you can't take that edge away, but you do, come, like I said, you become a little bit more calcified. Uh, around the um, the emotion of it, but it's always going to be there. So let's just say it that way; it doesn't go away. But and I'll talk to agents that are you know huge producers that have been in the business forever, and they will you know often arm wrestle me not to actually have to pick up the phone and call their centers of influence and past clients. They just assume send them gold Rolexes every month and pick up the phone <laughs> in some cases just yeah. because they don't want to have that or emotion. Do a recipe card postcard plan, right? And th- so this is the point I'm trying to make: is when you don't directly call. Call, call, call. Did I say email, Julie? No, not Did yet. Did I say nope. drip, drip? Nope. nope, haven't been dripping. No dripping. <laughs> Did I say social networking eyes? Nope. Okay, call. When you call your centers of influence in an era where everybody else does things passively, you immediately make a huge impact on what they think about you. Now, I want you to think of something. I have a question. And this is the question I ask, especially when I come across you know top producing agents that won't call their centers of influence. 
You tell me one positive benefit of not calling, other than, you know, obviously you don't have to overcome your emotional mm-hmm. response, right? What do you get from not calling? And if you start analyzing why you don't call it by answering that question, you quickly figure out what you're really trying to do is, like I just said, you're trying to essentially make it so that you don't have to overcome your I'm going to call it irrational fear of calling your centers of influence and past clients. But when you don't call them and you don't ask them for business, what it is, what is it that you're actually telling them about you? Or what is it that you're telling them that you think about them, right? Your centers of influence and past clients. So your centers of influence and past clients, they know you're in the real estate business. They, you know, they're going to assume that you're, um, you know, somewhat successful and all the whole thing. But when you don't overtly ask them for business, what message are you sending to them? You tell me, I mean, is there any good message you're sending them by not asking them for business? Nothing good. And, you know, no information. Would you say people generally think positively about no information or do they generally go down a fairly negative rabbit hole such as they're too busy for me? Or my business, you know, I'm, all, I'm only in a certain story? price range. Sure. Okay. So when Julie and I were selling real estate, we tell this story. It's actually in our book, but it's this is really important. Um, and again, experience this yourself as I'm telling this story. So Julie and I, every morning, uh, would go to the Starbucks. Now, I want you to remember, we worked out of our house, but we'd go to the Starbucks every morning. And here's the reason why. Because there was always a long line, at, and we sold real estate in Albany, Ohio. And there was always a long line at the Starbucks. Because, you know, it was Starbucks and it was in the morning. And it's it, on even, the way to the freeway. It, right, right. Even when it was cold, yeah. there was a long line. And the gal that managed the Starbucks name was Tristam. And Tristam actually ended up buying a condo from us. But we got to know her. She actually uh, had Starbucks sponsor some of our charity events we do in New Albany, the pumpkin drive and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And in any event, she'd, we, Julie and I would be in line and, you know, the line would be long. And she'd always shout out, hey, Tim and Julie. How's the real estate market? Or she'd say something like that. She'd start a conversation for us almost every morning. And sure enough, we'd end up having conversations with people. And after a while, we got to know all the people. It's like you if you do things on a regular basis, like going to a you know Orange Theory or going to a Starbucks and whatnot, people start to recognize you and feel comfortable with you. That's a great, easy way to build your centers of influence and past client. Anything, anytime. You're going to be around the regular group of people. You're going to actually make a lot of lasting con, uh, you know, friends. And even a silly line of Starbucks, everyone's feeling the same thing. I want my caffeine hit. I don't necessarily want to be here. I want to go through – I mean I have to go to work. So everyone's sort of sharing the same shared misery, right? And so that in itself, that shared experience sort of bonds you in an odd way. Just like when you go to an Orange Theory. We've had – since we started suggesting agents go to Orange Theory or some other organized uh, fitness workout thing – but the beauty about Orange Theory is that they force you at the beginning of the Orange Theory to sit in a room basically around all these people. I mean, you know, again, if you're a huge... Well, now you have to stand outside around a bunch of people. Right. Yes. So anytime you're going to be put in a... Yeah. Now, the Orange Theory, uh, the reason that's also a great environment for meeting people is because everybody's there knows that they're about to have their ass kicked. You will suffer together. It, you're going to suffer together. And psych, every you know, you guys probably know this, but anytime a group of people go through something stressful, that has a sort of lizard brain way of making people that much more bonded together. So that's a nice thing about the Orange Theory. So if you... And one of the things we suggest is you actually... Actually, go to Orange Theory on. Uh, you go to two different classes. So, like on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you go to maybe the eight o'clock class. On Tuesday and Thursday, you go to eleven a.m. class or whatever. You guys get the idea. That way, you're getting to know different groups of people, and you'll find that every time you go to one of those classes, you're you're going to run into you know fifty percent of the people that are, are just going to become Regulars, your friends, yeah. right? And then you're going to start doing referrals out of that. Well, the Starbucks works the same thing. 
So anyway, back to my story. So we're in line at the Starbucks and every morning, this is for years, okay, guys? I, I'm just shuddering to think how much we spent at that Starbucks, actually, <laughs> is what I was just thinking about. I know. It's part of your S- DNA still. now. Still, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and she start the conversation and there was always this, uh, usually it was the father and the son, or sometimes it was just one of them. And they were farmers insurance agents, may have been Allstate, but one of the two. They own one of those mm-hmm. franchise deals. And they sold residential policies. So they sold, you know, normal homeowners insurance, homeowners insurance yeah. auto insurance, and all kinds of things that, you know, you'd, necess- that you'd want to be having your local top producing real estate agent possibly sell or help you sell to their, uh, you know, their real estate sale, the real estate clients, right? We did a lot of reloads. So we could have been setting these guys up with so much insurance sales, it was ridiculous. And we'd see them every morning. Polite, hello, how do you do? Never once in all those years did they ever ask us for business. It actually gets worse than that because there's this club that was nearby that actually Julie would uh, frequent in this uh, swimming lessons thing that she would do. And one of them would show up and never once asked anything about real estate, never brought it up once. And so as the years progressed, I remember at first, and I actually went through this um, you know, in retrospect trying to uh, share this experience with coaching clients so that they could understand the fallacy of not actually asking direct questions. And I remember we would see these guys or one of them every single day. And for the first maybe 18 months we were living there, because we weren't from this market, they would, uh, they, and they were, they would, you know, be polite, but that was it. And then I remember after that, I, subconsciously, I started to work on it. And I know Julie did too. Like, why aren't these guys asking us for business? And then it wasn't too long after that that our minds started to fill with negative answers, and those became conscious thoughts. And the conscious thoughts were they don't like us. The conscious thoughts were they're too busy, they're too lazy, they're too arrogant, they're too this, the other thing, and the other thing. In other words, we did not have a single – we were still polite to them. Hello, how do you do? Um, and I hear some of you are thinking, well, why didn't you ask them for business? Because we had insurance. We didn't need insurance. Yeah. They should have been asking us for business because we were selling a hell of a lot of houses. And I bet you they could have had dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of insur- new insurance well, clients I, had they asked I totally us. would have used them. And, you know, we would have totally I would have them. referred other agents to use them, too, because that's not taking anything away from your but, own business. But they know? never asked. And I remember... It became weird. It, it did become weird. Awkward. It was uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I mean... You know, we're, I guess, likable, aren't we? <laughs> you especially. Well, oh, how nice yes. of you to say that. <laughs> yeah, so we'd be standing in line every morning. And these people would never, you know, other than just a, your usual niceties, they would never ask us for business. And it became to the point was it, after we moved. So Julie and I moved uh, out of Ohio. We moved out west and, that you know, opened a different chapter in our lives. But then we started, um, and, you know, looking back at those experiences, again, trying to understand why we think and feel the way we did. And then it came, you know, to Julie and I on a coach, you know, series of coaching calls. We were talking about this because at the time, Julie and I were coaching every single day, 12 to 15 different real estate agents. Every single day, we'd start every morning at 5 a.m. We'd end typically at 12.30 or something because we had breaks in the day. But we were coaching 65 to 75 different coaching clients and all of them had weekly calls. And yes, if that sounds like hell to you, it was. <laughs> For five years? Five years. Like it that. was bad. Yeah. <laughs> but we did it. Boot camp. Well, it was boot camp, but that's what made us really good. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, you can't... It gives you, you a lot of depth and breadth to you know what you know and, and, our and listener, patterns. Our listeners can tell. 
Yeah. When, and when you guys are listening to us, I can tell you can tell. When you read our book, you can tell Julie and I have had that kind of experience because you're not going to have that many coaching clients wanting to pay you $1,000 a month for that long period of time. And we've obviously had coaching clients before that and have had thousands of coaching clients after that. But that was when we were really, really focusing on just doing one-on-one coaching. That's what our primary uh, you know, effort was. Um, and then we started, you know, we, the business grew bigger and we started hiring different coaches and all these other different things happened. But the point I'm trying to make to you guys is as we went through that trial by fire of having all those coaching calls, we had to figure out how to help our clients. Otherwise we were out of integrity with, you know, being a real estate coach. We aren't trainers. I mean, Julie and I are trainers. We're training you right now. But when you are on a one-on-one coaching call with a really good coach, that is coaching. That is someone whose job it is to help you move forward. And if they're not getting you to move forward, then it's because their, frankly, coaching skills suck and they need to get their coaching skills to improve. And that's the constant challenge Julie and I would always have. Every day after we'd have our long day of coaching, then after that, we'd go on a walk and we would, you know, again, defrag from all of our coaching calls, talk about the different experiences we had. And this one thing that kept on coming up was why can't we get these top producers to pick up the phone? And we knew the answer, their egos. That was the answer. I'm too busy. I'm too important. I don't want people to I don't to want think, to bother somebody. I don't want to bother someone. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to think that I'm a, you know, pushy salesperson. I don't want to appear that I'm desperate for, you know, this, the other thing, you know, or the, the upper end, um, you know, realtors would always have even worse excuses than that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the real reason was is because of how you perceive they'll perceive you. And you think they'll perceive you poorly by asking them for business. But the reality of it is, is they perceive you poorly if you don't. That's absolutely true. I mean, think about friends of yours who have opened businesses. It could be a restaurant or a hair salon. And you know about that, but they never mention it to you. Isn't that weird? Doesn't that create an awkward sense of like maybe kind of throws your friendship off a little bit? It's weirder for you to not call, right? So, you know, it's funny. There's a saying that I picked up from where in coaching, which is uh, they say that they don't want to bother anybody, but what they really mean is that they can't be bothered. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. And, you know, that's kind of an expression of ego if you drill down on that a little bit because you're making it about you, not about them. And I can tell you that our coaching clients and our, our podcast listeners over the years who have gotten the heck over that, it's so much easier for them. Their business flow is so much more consistent. Think about this, Jules. Because they're making the calls about the, the, the client, the past client, and not about themselves. What's the opportunity cost of not doing That's the work? Huge. Yeah, think about that. Well, though. I remember, I think it was Greg Newman that said We need this. to explain that. So well, he, we need to explain that. Yes. So well, opportunity yeah. cost would mean basically what are you losing by not doing the work? Yeah. And the opportunity cost that a lot of you guys are doing because you're not having transactions come to you as organically as they would had you actually been working your centers of influence and past clients could be measured probably in the hundreds of billions of hundreds of millions of dollars per year that agents are spending on uh, gimmicky buying leads because they actually aren't doing what they should be doing in the first place, which is tending to their own centers of influence. It's the reason you're buying leads. This is a large part of the reason. And when back to our montage event, when you asked Greg Newman, who I don't know how many thousands of past clients he has, he said, I realize now that I would have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars buying, whether that was marketing your way there or, you know, paying for leads, when all I should have been doing is a better job with my database. And I thought that was really powerful, especially coming from somebody like him who has so many past clients anyway, you would assume that, you know, he wouldn't say something like that, that it would just start turning. And he said, you know, I I had to buy too much business. They don't come to you guys. You have to go to them. And this day and age where everywhere someone turns... 
especially because of social, it's very confusing. It's called oversaturation. Real estate agents are essentially oversaturating in all the digital channels. That's the reason that this stuff is basically a fallacy. It doesn't really work, never really worked. You don't need to really about your brand. Your brand will be developed along the way. It's called your reputation from your success helping solve problems, which is called selling a house. Okay? Did you get all that? Because that's the truth. Right. That's the bottom line. And thinking you could shortcut it by buying it is not true. I was actually listening to um, somebody that I know. I haven't talked to in a long time. Talking about he was one of these YouTube influencers actually in the uh, car world. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. and I was and so I, we had met him at a, a car thing in California or something. Anyway, and, you know, who knows? But here's what he was saying in essence is that he was making really good money off of all of his car videos. He would do videos on new cars mostly. That's a, you know by good money like low seven figures. But he said he's noticed that his views were going down, and his views were going down not because it doesn't make sense. Why would his views go down during COVID? Well, the answer is is because there's more people because of COVID making car videos, and the L algorithm for YouTube had actually changed to the point where out you know essentially what he had done all that content he had created was essentially starting to pay him less because it was getting less views and that goes back to the uh, the main point of the podcast we did last week I think it was on Friday where you know would you build your castle on someone else's land and that's ultimately what you guys do when you're spending money on anything you're looking like so for example if you go do a whole bunch of social networking stuff there's really no accumulative benefit from doing that work. You do a video, it goes up, and then it's lost forever, right? It has maybe a 20-minute or a 24-hour benefit. Even on this uh, Clubhouse app, which trust me, guys, everyone's going to be talking about that very shortly. Those are one-and-done conversations. They're not recorded. They're not replays. Once that conversation happens, it's over. It'll, you know, It's live international conversation. It's interesting, but I want you to understand if you're investing a lot of money there, there's no accumulative benefit to having actually done that. You know, maybe people start to follow you because they like what you had to say. But when you look at all this other stuff that you guys are being told to invest in, as in somehow by investment, it means you put a dollar in today and then in seven years it's worth $2. That is the exact opposite of what happens in social networking because you guys are building your castles on somebody else's land. You don't control the customer. You don't control the – you have to somehow – Get those people that are listening and watching your content. You have to get them off that platform, and then you have to get their permission to communicate directly with them off the platform. Otherwise, you're going to lose everything that you were thinking you were working towards with the idea that one day, someday, hopefully, you, you know, <laughs> breathe deep into the hopium juice that you're going to somehow magically start getting business from all those sources. You guys understanding what we're trying to say here? Doesn't it feel like practical, tactical, common sense, what we're trying to express to you? It does, and it's so real world. While you were talking, I was thinking of two very specific examples that, you know, reasons that you need to be talking to all of your people all of the time, okay? One sad and one happy. The sad one is that we have had several reports of people who have lost their jobs, can't get them back, don't know what to do. The assumption is I'm going to be foreclosed on, you know, that nobody even knows what a short sale is really since the market's been hot so long. And so what does that person do? Usually they get bad information, no information. Somebody like you guys need to be talking to that person to get them out of their house. We talked about this on podcast last week. Get them out while they still have equity or help them get a forbearance so they have enough time in their house to get a job, okay? So if that person knew that you know how to help them, but you didn't bother to call, 
you've just lost that business. You haven't earned the right you to have that earned, business. Exactly. I, it's like we were doing, I'll never forget this. We were doing, a, I'll, I'll never forget this because the guy I said this to is really huge, you know, <laughs> right. and I'm not. Yeah. And so we were in this really too small of a room. We were in Hawaii and there was this really big guy who I later found out was an ex-FBI guy. So if you're listening, I do remember this exchange. <laughs> do you remember his name? It'll come to me. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, Remember yeah. you wrote us that really nice letter? Yeah. Anyway, so he stands up and he asks the question. He said, why didn't I get this listing? I he did all this. He, you know, he basically ran down this list of gimmicky things that he did trying to get the listing. And, you know, somebody, the seller ended up choosing somebody else. And my answer was, you didn't earn the right to, to win the listing. You weren't good enough. You got beat. That seller chose somebody else because of what that somebody else was able to make them, you know, think that they could do to get the household. You didn't earn the right to be that seller's representative. Isn't that the bottom line truth? Isn't that the answer? But who else would have said that? Nobody. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear it. The whole room gasped, right? I like doing that. It's fun. <laughs> I know. Well, because what do agents go straight to? All The other guy must have overpriced and under commissioned. They bought the listing. Or all of these other non-related to your right. skill excuses. Right. Exactly. So that's what... So like everyone gets a participation trophy anymore, it seems like. Yeah. You know, Don Hobbs actually said that to me mm-hmm. yesterday about Clubhouse. I thought it was hilarious. And it's true. But everybody gets a participation trophy. Everyone's basically... Everyone's advice and what they have to say is, you know, somehow magically supposed to be equal. That's not true. That isn't the way life works. You know, the reality of it is, is if you can attach yourself and there's not very many people that are actually genuinely authentic, you know, very successful at anything in life, let alone doing what we do. So if you guys are, you know, wondering why you feel so confused and overwhelmed and why you're not knowing which direction to go and why you're being so endlessly attracted to being opportunistic, which is what a lot of the things that are being sold to you guys are, just little opportunistic things, little tchotchkes, little something or another to be a sort of a, a distraction from possibly ever learning to do the real work of real estate. Well, you guys are getting advice from the wrong people. Those are people that are not necessarily giving you advice for the betterment of yourself and your family and your you know, your hopes, your dreams, and your goals. They're just looking to basically sell you something. And I hope you guys understand that. You know, this is, we're, you know, what, halfway into first quarter of 2021. How are you doing so far? How's the year looking for you? On track, ahead or behind. That's the game we play on our uh, <laughs> premier right. coaching uh, Facebook Live. Let me give you the second example, which is a little happier example of why you have to call your people. Uh, one of our Austin clients who has, I mean, Austin is just completely on fire with these crazy, crazy, you know, higher prices every single month, practically day over day. It's Julie, rising. tell them that story that you told me about the fact that you saw some little Weasley deal where the listing agent was trying to get the buyer's oh. agent to cut their commission. Yeah, that's I how mean, like, crazy. What market crazy was that? Uh, I don't remember. It was on one of the, the pages that I follow. Um, no, it was, it was on Premier Coaching Call. And so the, basically somebody somebody, somebody yeah. essentially said, explain yeah. to them. Okay, so the question was, uh, is it illegal to, this was a question from the agent, is it illegal for the listing agent slash seller to make a stipulation of taking my offer, if I'm on the buyer side, that I give them my commission? I mean, that's pretty radical, aggressive, rude <laughs> asking, I think. But the answer is, if you disclose everything, you can negotiate. People negotiate all this stuff all the time. Yep. You can change. But that's important, though. So this goes back. And the reason I wanted Julie to bring this up is because 
We've been warning all of you guys, if you want to know where the ice is thin in real estate, it's definitely going to be on the buyer sides of the transactions. Buyer side commissions are not going to necessarily be an entitlement like they have been for generations of a real estate commission, of real estate transaction. You're going to have to start using buyer agency contracts. You're going to have to start justifying the value you bring to that buyer, just like a listing agent, just like we train listing agents to do when they're going after sellers. You're going to actually have to move away from, you know, the buyer side of the business being primarily social and really physical labor, you know opening doors and whatnot. And you're going to have to migrate towards the idea that it is going to be something that's going to require more sales skills because it is. This is a very hot topic on many of the different agent commentary places that I'm seeing. And of course, amongst our coaching clients. And it's always having to do with the buyer side. Always. I mean, one of the hottest top, I think Inman's running a story about when is it okay to reduce the buyer side commission? Because that's something that's going on right now. Well, the industry is going. This is the. This is all basically. This is the iBuyers guy. Though, if you guys want to know where this is all getting started, Zillow and Open Door. Again, we talked about this in the podcast before. Yeah. But I'll just bottom line it for you. They've been testing out in different markets, and this is. You know, I don't remember the exact numbers, so don't hold us to it. But the gist of it was is they determined that there was no detrimental effect to getting one of their flips sold. Uh, you know. Open Door or Zillow, if they, they reduce the commission down, I think it was a smidge a less point than, and a half. A point and a half, right. Yeah. So they can reduce the commission down to a point and a half. And still get it sold. And there's no difference to the house getting sold or not. So why the heck would they pay 3% or 2.5% if they can pay a point and a half? And that's what's going to start happening. Yeah, you want to be the listing agent. That's what this all, all right. roads lead <laughs> to you being the listing agent if we haven't been clear about this. Now, let me let me get back to my Austin story. Okay, so... Hot, hot, hot seller's market. Lots of people coming from California to Austin and Nashville and places like that. Okay, so one of our coaching clients there has been calling her database with a very simple script based on actual facts. That we wrote for her. Yes. It basically... Oh, you, you're, you, you missing, can, you're missing a good point. Go ahead. Okay, Julie and I are on a walk. She forgot the beginning part of this story. Yeah. I didn't know you were going to tell this story. Yeah. So you and I are on a walk. It was about mm-hmm. a month and a half ago. Yep. You get this uh, sort of panic text from this coaching client to which I said, call her, you know, yeah, don't do it now, call. Julie. We're on a walk. Yeah. And Julie said, this is a really good client. I really want to make sure this gal's really obviously having some sort of, you know, existential threat, emotional response mm-hmm. to something. And Julie called her up while we were on our walk. And the gist of why she was calling is because she was unbelievably upset. Well, no, she was believably upset because of the fact that she was losing some absolutely gorgeous transactions that were centers of influence past clients, her, her past deals to, I was it one or two deals to one particular new agent? Well, not new agent, but new to the market and more aggressive agent. Right. Yeah. And, and the lady whose nickname now is threat vector. Thread vector. Oh, we got. Oh, you yeah. gave that to her too. Yeah. So she was like freaking out and like, I can't get this business. These are centers of influence of past clients. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know how she's doing it. And then it was, you know, I was listening. Julie was talking to this lady, and Julie was kind of, you know, going down the normal coaching routes with her, and you know, different, you know, different things that she was trying to help the gal self discover that. But the essence of what was going on is this other agent was simply calling these uh, cold calling. These, is that right? Yeah. She, she was cold calling and basically giving them uh, blind offers on their houses. Yeah, well, basically. this was specifically on one of our clients' uh, older expireds, okay, that expired at a price pre-COVID that back then, you know, it, it does take longer to sell the very high end, okay? But now that we have all, the, all this new movement, this, this other agent had somebody coming in from California and was essentially cold calling on older expireds that met the person's criteria, you know, stuff that we also- But these are hugely expensive. Huge, okay. 10 million, 15 million, weren't they? I want to say that it expired at 11 
and just sold at 22. And this is in Austin, Texas. Yes. Trust us. This when is not California. There's not a lot of that in Austin, Texas. It's partially because of California, but it's not in California. Yeah, it's funny you said Elon yeah. Musk. He's probably buying all of them since yeah, he moved to Austin. Right? He's probably collecting them again. Well, so but, we, so anyway, we create a, a script because the question was, what am I supposed to do about this? Right. And the script was basically calling all of her centers of influence and past clients and essentially telling them if I can sell your house for twice what you paid, would you consider selling it? That was the gist That's of the That's the script. gist of it. Now, why why is this related to our talking to your database? Okay, Because one of her people that she called said, you know, if you, if you have people like that that will pay that for this neighborhood and you didn't call me, we wouldn't be friends anymore. <laughs> so, you know, this stuff does happen. And especially in a hot seller's market where people are talking to each other, there's pocket listings all the time. There's Everybody's excited about real estate. Everybody's being more aggressive. Probably 90% of what I see agents having questions about in coaching and also just online stuff, it has to do with uh, fighting over procuring cause and stuff like that where you know the listing agent did this to me, right? They're feeling victimized. And in fact, the listing agent was just doing their job right. most of the time. Yeah. yeah. And so, but the takeaway agent always wins. The takeaway is yeah. she hadn't been calling them right. before she and, had been. And had to get this painful lesson to, three, to probably then. a 250000 or $300,000 yeah. lesson. Yes. You know, as Rory used to say, won't do that one again. How much did that one cost you? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and that was a painful thing, but it, it made it more obvious that everybody needs to be talking to their people. Calling. Calling them, whether that's because you discover your next call, they really have to sell because, you know, they didn't get their job back after they were furloughed or because they're in a hot neighborhood where you can absolutely cash them out better than ever and then turn them into a buyer for yourself. And because you're involved in the entire transaction, you have a lot more control. You know, that that's another thing that I see amongst our coaching clients. This is very interesting that actually do this. Okay. When they actually do this, they are connecting people and doing both sides of the deal instead of being in competitive situations because they're looking at their database as shadow inventory. Everybody's complaining, not enough inventory, right? Look at the people who are in your database. That's your own private MLS to go into. When you've got wayward buyers that you can't find anything for them, go look towards your own past clients. But beyond that, Julie, even if you like, seriously, if we are to get back into real estate right now, and Mm -hmm. let's say we're selling real estate here in Dorado, Puerto Rico. In Dorado, Puerto Rico, where we live, houses doubled in the last 12 months in value, Mm -hmm. which is insane. 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 I mean, I I can't even. Uh, On up into the upper echelon of price ranges. Yeah, there's there's houses here now that are basically selling in, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 million that were, I know of several houses that, when we moved here about uh, two years ago, 18 months ago, they were for sale. You could have picked one up. And these are expensive houses too, guys. And trust me, Julie and I always are walking around a little bit of uh, with our mouths open and that we live here. Trust me when I tell yeah. you we don't take any of this for granted. We're no. just poor kids from Ohio. But there are houses that when we moved here probably were worth like 850 a million to like mm-hmm. a golfer or whatnot. Yep. And now the sellers are turning offers down for, you know, basically not even for sale. Will you sell it for in the threes? Same yeah. house, house built probably back Not in even the 90s. rehabbed. No, not even rehabbed, yeah. right? And so what I would do if mm-hmm. just based on what we were just talking about, if I were serious about getting in, you know, obviously building listing inventory, mm-hmm. is I would just call every single soul. Absolutely. And I would just say, you know, Julie, I I'm we don't we've never met before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got 
a great house over at 123 Elm Street. Actually, it'd be 123 Palm Grove Street or something, right? Where right. Where we go. And uh, if I could bring you an offer today for roughly twice of what you uh, what you paid for it, what would you tell me? <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, bring it on over. <laughs> yeah, you would. You'd say bring it on over. Well, and, and then, you would also, of course, say, well, where am I going to live? And now you just got another deal. Right. And maybe they have no place to move. Maybe they are just going to look at it as an opportunity to... Uh, you know, move, uh, take their money off the table, frankly, and maybe they could do a lease back from, we've known people here and we have coaching clients. They'll, the, the thing that on the buyer side transaction will often get your house, uh, your buyer side offer accepted if you give the seller complete flexibility out moving out. Mm-hmm. In other words, let the buyer or the, you know, the seller essentially lease back for the buyer for a year maybe. And I know that puts a pinch on your buyer and everything is on blah, 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 blah. But if it's difference between getting the house and not getting the house, you're going to have yeah. to always be thinking about what's going to be uh, motivating the seller. And it's almost always going to be the convenience of, you know, frankly, having a, an easy move out, going from one house to the next, all this stuff. But the moral of the story is in a market like this, obviously the lowest hanging fruit you've got is your centers of influence and past clients. We are not against, we are not opposed to sending them things and dropping off things and doing all the gifty things and all the rest of it. But what I'm here to tell you is that stuff is oversaturated, especially in the digital fronts. So the most effective thing all of you guys can be doing today is picking up the phone and calling your centers of influence and past clients. Remember, it was centers of influence and past clients. I know some of you don't have any past clients, but you do have centers of influence. They're called your friends, your family, the people you do business with, your old neighbors, your new neighbors. And those of you who are in our premier coaching program, we have a whole, this list of money, uh, you know, memory joggers of all the places you might go to form your own list. I think and, that's in the treasure map too. Yeah. Well, I need to tell them how to yep. get the treasure map for free. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. Do not say I need to get my CRM together before I start doing that. This Ugh. is, no, do not do that. <laughs> You could just use, just print it out, print all your centers of influence out on a piece of paper, make them an index card. You don't need to overthink no, this. And it is a good excuse to polish your CRM, but do it as you go. Don't try and, you know, analysis paralysis yourself into no deals. The CRM business is one I think is one of the biggest goofball businesses ever, if you ever I think know. about it. Because all, I don't know if you guys know this, but most of the CRMs that you guys are subscribing to are all based on the same root software. And so what happens is these CRM marketing companies, they get the software and then they move things around, change the colors, change the font, make things look the same. But they are just basically reselling somebody else's software with their label on it and marking it up like a thousand times for you guys. And that's what a lot of this stuff is. It's just the same stuff being sold over and over again. And anyway, this is how a lot of these marketing things that you guys are buying into thinking that they're great ideas. That's what they really are. They're just essentially things if you dug around a little bit on the internet, you could find for free. Anyway, if you'd like to get the real estate treasure map, thinking of for free, um, the real estate treasure map is your fill in the blank uh, 2021 business plan. If you haven't done this yet, make sure you do it immediately. Text 2021 to 855 685 1045. Text 2021 to 855 685 1045. And when you do, we're going to text you back a link and you can download the real estate treasure map, Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate your 12-monthly generation guide, and all the rest of it. Go back and listen to the past few podcasts because we've been really trying to help you guys drill down on what your primary lead generation sources have been. Notice we have not said TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Notice we have not told you that you need to worry about how to take really good videos. That was not part of what we said. Again, there's working in real estate and then there's playing as if you're working in real estate. Do the real work in real estate and you'll get real everlasting results from the real work you do in real estate. And guys, this is the easiest business that people overcomplicate. So this is the easiest, selling real estate is probably one of the most beautiful things you could have ever found yourself to be in. 
it, the industry itself is, frankly, I think this is going to be the best run in real estate for I don't know how long, at least a decade that we've probably ever had. I'm, I mean that with 100% sincerity. Absolutely. All kinds of uh, tailwinds to real estate, all kinds of demographic changes, interest rate changes, mindset changes about everything is positive. All green lights for real estate. And if you're not helping a bunch of people making a ton of money in a market like this, it's probably because what you're trying to do, you're, you're spending your time and effort on the wrong things. So step back towards the mindset of being of service to other people. Step back towards the mindset of having direct conversation and communication with people because you will get faster results that way, especially when all of your competitors, and that is what they are, are migrating towards the passive stuff. A great place to start if those of you are looking for a real A to Z solution is just get our book. It's like $13 on Amazon. You can get the Audible book too. Um, you know, The guy who read it for us is fantastic. Publisher found him. But the book is called Harris Rules over 400 actually i haven't looked in a while have you looked i haven't in a I, couple weeks i think yeah last time i looked it was 445 star reviews so if you haven't and you haven't given us <laughs> a review look. yet <laughs> please do because yeah we do know. look and we do read them too yeah, we do. and we really appreciate them too you know let's, let's find out see. Dun, 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 441 very nice <laughs> there you go so there it is. Get the book, Harris Rules, a Real Estate uh, Agent's Practical No-BS Step-by-Step Guide to Becoming Rich and Free. I mean, doesn't that say it all? It does. Who was, who was the genius who hmm, wrote that? I think it was you. Oh, was yeah. it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that and the cover design. Yeah, I did the book. That. I did the the text for the cover and the cover design. The publisher picked the colors, and Julie did most of the other work. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Your turn. Anyway. No, no, ma'am. All right, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.